Welcome to the Dead Celebrities Podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenick. My name is David Lenick, and I'm a Senior Editor with Wealth Management and Trust in Estates. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a single celebrity estate, be it a planning snafu, a familial flight, or even just a good example of the power of proper planning. And from that high-profile and often ridiculous example, myself and a guest attempt to boil the example down to some lessons that advisors can use with their more typical clients. The idea being that celebrity estates, though the details are often more bombastic, generally face the same obstacles and issues as those of regular people, just with the volume kind of turned up, making them interesting and valuable as case studies. This week we're going to talk about the estate of fashion designer Karl Lagerfeld. Now, before you jump into the comments and rage, yeah, we know that the details of his estate aren't public. However, by all appearances, we could have another Leon Helmsley situation on our hands, so we're going to jump at the opportunity to speculate a little bit. Uh, Our guest this week is Megan Gorman. Megan is the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management, a fee-only planning firm that specializes in high net worth and ultra-high net worth families in San Francisco, California. Uh, Checkers focuses on establishing long-term relationships with families and helps them navigate through tax, estate, liquidity, and investment planning. And Megan heads the firm's family office practice. Uh, she's a regular Forbes contributor, and she's also quoted regularly in the press as a tax and financial planning expert, including such publications as The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and Moneyish, among others, also WealthManagement.com. She regularly blogs at www.thewealthintersection.com, so go check her out after the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Megan. Thanks for having me, Dave. How are you doing today? I'm not, not so ex- bad. Can't complain. Exactly. So sort of exciting to talk about Karl Lagerfeld, such an iconic individual in life. And you know, when you start to think about him in death and estate planning, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities about what he probably did with his estate. Yeah, he's certainly a little more interesting than the uh, what typically comes across uh, the estate planner's desk, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, what's what's unique about Lagerfeld is even though he was a larger than life personality, he has a lo- had a lot of the same estate planning issues I think many Americans have. Um, and th- and there's a lot of different ways to look at it. So when when he first passed, I think one of the things that got a lot of press, um, and I actually wrote about it as well, as did you, was that he had a beloved cat named Choupet. And the big speculation, because Carl liked to leave little nuggets and quotes all over the place about his cat, was that he's left his entire empire to a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and and obviously, you know, for most Americans, I don't think we think about, you know, leaving a you know two hundred million dollar empire to a cat, but but I know in working with individuals, this is actually not an uncommon issue, which is your pet becomes a member of the family, and and it's sort of crazy when you think about it, Dave. But sixty eight percent of all U.S. households, or eighty five million families, own a pet, and yeah. so. They become members of the family. Absolutely. And, and I think it's Carl Lagerfeld, especially, like, you, you raise your eye at sort of the cat aspect of it. But for all, as far as I can tell, the other leading candidate to inherit his estate is uh, the nine-year-old son of his favorite model, 
who he's not. Yes. Right? So it's like if you're looking at the, the choice between the, the beloved cat and an unrelated nine-year-old boy, uh, <laughs> in a weird way, the cat almost makes more sense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Except when you realize that Carl sort of didn't didn't go out and get Choupet like one would go and get a, 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 you know, a cat. In fact, he was asked to cat sit for a friend. And at the end of the two weeks, the friend was told the cat is not coming home to you. So he sort of also absconded with someone's cat that he's now made an heir. But I think, you know, when you think about estate planning, you know, and you, you get to this, you know, to this issue with people, what you really have to look at is for a lot of Americans, their pet is like their child. And I think in this day and age, I know, I mean, I don't have children. I don't know about you, Dave, but you know, when you start to think about who gets your pet at your death, it is a very emotional issue because it's almost like picking a guardian for your child. And that's and sort so of, I think, think I want to stress to the audience. So that's kind of mainly what we're going to be talking about here. Obviously, your, your typical client is not going to be living, doesn't have a million dollars in the first place, and they're definitely not going to be living to their cat. And sort of the idea of estate planning for pets is a little more, uh, like, like you said, of, of planning to take care of a child in the long term. Yeah, and I, I think from a practitioner standpoint, you know, the, the the work that we have to do with those fireside chats with clients is really to understand the emotional psychology about how they feel about their pet, right? You know, have they thought about who would get their pet at their death? And 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 like when you pick guardians for your children, have you had that conversation with that individual or that other family? Do they know that you, you're sort of thinking of them to take care of your of your cat or your dog or your pet bird in the event you pass away and your pet is 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 still living? And you know what I think you start to find with clients is this really resonates, but but usually the first reaction, and and Dave, I don't know if you've seen this, is really I can do that? I can pick someone in my estate plan. And, and it's, it's, it's a revelation, I think, for clients, for them to realize that this idea that this estate plan, which, you know, they understand handles the disposition of their assets and might set pa- how it passes to their, to their heirs, could really allow them to make sure that their pet is cared for in the way that they want their pet cared for, really just touches them in, in a very unique way. Yeah, absolutely. And also, this just pets are kind of in an interesting position legally, right? And that they're, they're technically property, yes. but also you can make these, but that's not obviously the vast majority of people don't look at their pet as, as like their favorite chair or something to be passed on. But, you know, you can still plan for them like, like, like they were a person, like they're, you know, a member of the family. So it's a very interesting sort of legal position that the pet falls in as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think the other thing is, like anything in estate planning, you can make this as complex and uh, you know, chal- you know, and and challenging as possible for for whoever inherits your your pet, or you could keep it relatively simple. And so, I think if you if you think about it from a very from a typical U.S. estate plan setup, you probably want to keep it simple. And what I mean by that, it goes to your point, Dave, that you know, a a pet is property, and so you can gift your pet to someone. And, you know, what I typically see is, you know, people will pick someone that they give their pet to in their estate plan. And in doing so, they give that individual a gift. 
beyond the pet, a monetary gift to help care for the pet. So it's, it's more about providing in that situation, not paying someone to take care of your pet, but providing people with the means to make sure that your pet's cared for in the right way. And a lot of times people are just so appreciative of the person who's going to take care of their pet. In a weird way, it's kind of like setting up a special needs trust for your pet, where it's sort of right. like you've put this money aside to sort of like, obviously they are not capable of using it, and so you design someone to help them with it. Right. And that's where, you know, I think where when you're thinking about your estate plan and you're thinking about what you should do, you can do the more straightforward approach, which is you're gifting your pet. But then, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that there is also the more complex way of doing it. And it is not unusual, particularly with high net worth individuals, where they've really thought about this and they have decided that maybe the best course of action is to set up a trust for the benefits of their pet. Now, that the, the, the benefits of doing that is you really do get to have some control about how the pet is cared for. Because what you wouldn't want to have happen, right, if you if you follow the more straightforward approach where you gift someone your pet and you give them a gift, what you don't want to do or what you don't want to have happen is that individual takes the pet, takes the cash gift, and gives the animal away, mm-hmm. right? And that, this that, goes back to your point of, of having the conversation beforehand, right, the importance of making sure that you're picking the right person to get this as opposed to assuming that, you know, oh, my son will just take my cat. It's probably better to give him a heads up. Right, right, because it gives them the ability to think it through. So the benefit of doing a trust is you really get to control the situation from beyond the grave, and you really get to make sure that the pet is cared for in a very distinct manner. And when you think about cases like Leona Helmsley and what we are sort of uh, projecting on the Lagerfeld case, you could, I mean, what Lagerfeld said is that in life, Choupet lived, you know, probably on $2 million a year. And so in his situation, if he set up a trust for the benefit of Choupet, you know, he would be able to control and make sure she continues to live that lifestyle. Um, the challenges of having a trust, as all of us know, is you're picking trustees, you're creating administration, and for the average American, when you're when you're working with your clients, you have to question them on is this the right thing to do to create this whole trust setup, hire a trustee, have all the fees paid in order to protect the animal, and you know for most people they're going to probably say yeah for my dog or for my cat. I'm okay with just get, you know not doing the trust route for more just doing a gift of the pet to someone and giving money versus making it overtly complex. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trust piece works more when you've got a very unique situation like a Lagerfeld, like a Hel- Helmsley, where the pet was used to a style of living or in a situation, I'll give you an example, let's say a client owned a horse farm. And there was an actual ranch involved and the horses were thoroughbreds and, you know, certain things had to happen. That's the type of situation where a trust setup makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and I think that's an important uh, distinction to make also to point out, right, when people hear the word pet, they, you know, they're thinking of dogs and cats and these sorts of things. But there's plenty of, you know, I don't think people would think of necessarily as their prized thoroughbred as a pet. But, I mean, it falls okay. under the same sort of category that it needs to be cared for and then these pet trusts would be, in a lot of ways, the correct vehicle to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I think the other part of this, right, which beyond the pet planning, I think that as practitioners, what we have to also look at is the world is changing. There are more and more couples and individuals out there who are not having children. And so, you know, when you're working with them on their estate plan, it might be surprising for you as the practitioner to realize this is the most important decision that they're planning on making in their estate plan. They could, you know, if you don't have children, you, you probably don't, and I can say this as someone who doesn't have children, you're not as focused on having every, you know, asset basis to give away at your death. You're focusing on a couple of core issues that had, that have meaning for you. And this is one that I think as, you know, Gen X gets older, the millennials get older, Gen Z, you're going to see more and more of this planning in documents. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a shift uh, of, I mean, just the treatment of pets in general as sort of members of the family in the last probably 20 years, right? Where and my parents definitely didn't, you know, when they had pets growing up, it was just like a thing in the house. Um, but definitely there was a shift by the time that I was growing up where this is a member of the family who like you know, would almost sit down to dinner with us. And that's becoming right. more and more accepted. I think it's important, even though you know, maybe estate planning attorneys are from that previous generation, uh, by and large, that they um, kind of maintain a no-judgment zone when dealing with uh, these sort of non-typical you know, uh, situations like this. Yeah. No, and it's it's interesting because I can think of two estate plans I've worked on where even after the estate plan's been you know signed and executed, every time I'm at the house they make a comment about, don't worry, I, you know, I, I know my dog's going to be well taken care of. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's interesting because when you think about working with clients, part of our role is obviously to drive them to the right conclusions, but it's to also make them feel in things like estate planning that emotionally they have done the right things that make them feel satisfied and in control of what's going to happen. And I think that's where these these ideas of planning for pets really can just go a long way with a client in building the long-term relationship. And it's something that we all have to think about because anyone can do an estate plan and, you know, handle the guardians for your kids and, you know, disposition of, of your house. But But this is the stuff that I think makes a practitioner go from good to great. Mm-hmm. These nuances. Yeah, it's, it's something about estate planning that a lot of uh, you know, other professionals and, and clients themselves don't really appreciate this emotional aspect. I think a lot of times it gets looked at as more of sort of a cold transaction, like taxes, you know, debt mm-hmm. and taxes kind of situation. Yeah. Where you know, and even clients sometimes, even though like the idea of doing of doing it terrifies them, they don't draw the conclu- the, the comparison, or they don't draw like the, the parallel. They're like, oh, I'm terrified of this because it's highly emotional, and that this is almost going to be like a, a form of therapy in a way that I'm going to have to go through. Right. Instead of you know, they keep looking at it like that, and it's, it's, the best planners are able to, you know, reach out on that emotional level and you know, give their clients that you know, I don't want to say closure because the clients are still living, but that's kind of what you're looking for, right? You want them to to go satisfied and and not worried. You do, and you want them to feel that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. So I think as you sort of think about having this discussion with a client, you know, you really sort of have to map it out before the meeting, right? Before you're sitting in front of them, because there's a lot of questions that come up in this process that you really need to be able to give clients assurances for. Um, So I'll give you an example. You know, you're meeting with a client and they say, I want to set up a, a, 
I wanted, you know, you mentioned that they can do something for their beloved dog. And they sort of look at you and they say, well, okay, but I'm, I'm 40 years old. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm probably going to outlive my dog. And you say, okay, but it's likely that even if this beloved dog is not living at the time of your death, you might still have a pet. And so you ha- it gives you the chance to get into the idea that the estate plan can be elastic, right? So a lot of times when I'm dealing with this, we end up putting language in that says, you know, I gift my dog Fluffy to my dear friend, but if Fluffy is not living, any, any pet that I have at my time, at the time of my passing. Mm-hmm. And so by being able to sort of make it elastic, clients like that because what they don't want to do is feel that every time they get a new dog, cat, bird, reptile, that they have to go running back to get their estate plan cho- uh, changed. Yeah, exactly. And I think an important thing that you said at the very beginning there um, is this idea of, you know, you talking to the client about their beloved dog and planning for it is you have to know that they have a beloved dog in the first place. The client's not going to walk in. That's not going to show up on a, you know, on a readout or a financial uh, document. You know what I mean? You actually have to you know, do the work to talk to the client and get that information. They're not just going to walk in and, and say, I need pet planning. Because right, by and right. large, they don't know that exists. And, and also, it's like you need to have this relationship with the client before you can even get to this point of, of, right. of, of you know, properly taking care of their, their beloved dog. Yeah, I, I would tell you that one of the most powerful tools in the planning toolbox is actually going to a client's home. Mm. You know, for, for better or for worse, a lot of our industry does work in offices, right? Myself included at times. But I think, you know, really to start to have these discussions, because this isn't just about estate planning attorneys, but a lot of times it's the financial planner or the investment person who brings the client to the estate planning attorney. And they might've been in the client's house and saw the puppy or saw, you know, the bird and, and really can note that down. So this is also, when you think about your practice, this goes under that idea that the power of observation as you spend time with clients is really key because that little, you know, in the back of your mind, remembering that they got a new puppy this year and that everybody in the household was very excited about it. When you are directing someone to an estate planning attorney saying, look, they've got two kids this is a second marriage. And by the way, they just got a new puppy. You're giving the estate planning attorney a lot to work with in sort of making sure that the right documents get put in place. So you know, as we're coming up on sort of the end of our, our time here, Megan, and thank you so much for joining us, let's sort of, uh, you know, not to put you on the spot, but if we can sort of try mm-hmm. to wrap this up in a neat little bow, let's look, I guess, the one most important takeaway here, you know, one most important piece of advice for dealing with clients with a beloved pet and sort of broaching this topic. Yeah, I think the thing is clients are all unique and they all have different goals in life and things that they want to make sure pass in their estate plan. And pets are, th- are, are, are animals that are near and dear to our hearts. And we really have to do a good job at making sure that, the, that pets and what happens to them at your death get included in estate plans. It's a powerful message. And thank you so much for joining us, Megan. This is really great. Thanks for having me. And everyone, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dead Celebrity Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.